0: So good afternoon, podcast listeners, or good morning, depending upon the time of day and your time zone. I want to tell you today, you may be able to tell from the background noise, that this is not being recorded in my studio, where I typically record, but outside um, with one of my dear friends, Deborah Lesh Griffin, and we're doing this to, we were going to make a story that we were at Le Mans Rice Track, you know, somewhere <laughs> fancy, because we like to make up stories, but that's not the case. So before I introduce you to Deb, let me tell you a little bit about how I know her. Mm-hmm. And in some respects, Deb, I kind of feel like we've been sisters, and I've known you a long time, yeah. but from the first time I met you, there's like this kindred um, spirit part mm-hmm. of you that mm-hmm. I resonate with. And mm-hmm. even with a long time going in between, I just kind of feel like it's been recent. And For the folks who don't know Deb, if you're from northern Nevada, it's likely if you do any kind of community work or working to try and improve people's lives, your path has crossed with Deb at one point or another. Um, But if you don't have the privilege of knowing her, she has been in the um, human services sector, the arts area. Deb, how would you describe yourself? Because you've kind Mm -hmm. of been all over the map
1: yeah well, I'm sort of eclectic. I think that's you're, you're started to capture that. And what I have come to see myself as um, is someone who's focused primarily on what does it take in community to raise the vote for everyone. so the that can include anything from education to human services, to health, to the arts as you described. And I have obviously got some training in specific disciplines, but for me, what has really become the inspiration for the kind of work I do and what I learned later in life as I kind of try to capture this for, for people who like to know what is it you do and what what are you good at. Um, I think it's really around community development, community building, just making sure every human being is got a fair shake and is perceived as having equal value. And so for me, that can run the gamut from my encounters with somebody who's walking down the street. It could be an elder in our neighborhood. It could be a group of people that are really passionate about making a change, and I get to have the honor of convening them. So there's a, just a lot of different ways that I engage with people, but the bottom line is trying to have a level of consistency around not just the work I do, but the relationships that go with that.
0: So, carry that out a little bit for me because you talked about how, at this point, I mean, mm-hmm. you alluded to changes <laughs> right over yeah. time. But today, as you are, what does success mean to you, and how might that be different than how you defined it even 10 years ago?
1: I'm not sure I defined it so differently. I just experience it maybe at a deeper level now than I might have, but in what I do success is for me being the best I can be at any moment being authentic in that being able to speak my truth but in a way that can be heard which means then allowing the space for differences and different perceptions and perspectives and pathways of people so for me success is when I've engaged with someone or a group of someone's, and that's pretty much more the, the trend for me is working with groups, but where we feel like we've accomplished something, but that something isn't always in the most concrete or numeric value, but that there's really been a sense of a lift, a shift in thinking, a sense of being able to me, success as a, as a person is really tied to the success of others.
0: I totally get that.
1: Yeah. And their sense that they have a margin of change or shifts that allows them to do what's important to them, what they value. So being successful to me is when not so much that everybody thinks the same way or, or values the same thing. Well, maybe values. least we can identify our shared values. So I'm successful when in working with a group of people, they can identify that what they care about, that they share a vision for what's possible. And for me, success is just showing up the best I can and honoring that and helping move a group of people or be part of that movement in such a way that we, when we look back, we say we couldn't have done it without each other.
0: Okay. So there's a couple of things you've said I want to talk a little more about because they make me curious. Okay. You know, this is a word that you hear people say a lot now. I mean, it's really, I hear it often, much more often now than I did even like, I don't know, four years ago, maybe. That's an arbitrary number.
1: (laughs) I know everything's arbitrary. It comes to numbers. Well, I make it... Especially (laughs) time.
0: Well, because it's... Yeah, time is kind of, it's an odd thing, right? Mm-hmm, very. So this whole concept of being authentic, mm-hmm, right? And mm-hmm. I hear people say, well, be your authentic self, or okay. are you authentic? And I know I have my own way of knowing when I'm showing up that way, but I also wonder if it hasn't become a buzzword. Yeah. And so can you describe for us, mm-hmm. for me, and then for anybody else who's like me, and go, yeah, what do you actually mean by authentic, and how can you tell... Because I've heard people say I'm being my authentic self and I'm getting mm-hmm. I'm getting my strong intuition and my body, reading mm-hmm. a body going, you're not even comfortable with what you're doing. So you're not really being authentic. Mm-hmm. You may be showing up fully. So anyway. I, I totally agree with you. Um,
1: cause I don't think I used that word probably much before four years ago in the same way I do now. For me, and I was thinking about this, um, it, it really, to be authentic for me requires a level of commitment to self-reflection, self-analysis, knowing who I am, and that that will change. But there's a fundamental core. And I know when I'm authentic, if I'm not authentic, I know when I'm not authentic really easily, which is that it goes to my gut, Mm -hmm. it goes to my breath, and it often will go to a jumbled set of thoughts. You know, I can't truly listen. And, and for me, it's it's been there since I was a child, and I think I that's why when you asked about success, for me, I, I feel like I was really attuned to who I was in this world when I was very young and all the way through to my, I think of 19 as this really marker year, and that that person is the person in me that as I got more professionalized, I had to kind of nurture and go back to and say, you have this capacity to be in a very logical world and think linearly. I'm not a very linear thinker, I'm a systems thinker. But I guess to me authenticity is when you're listening to your voice and you have taken the time to really examine, who am I? What are my gifts? What is it that I'm good at? What am I not really good at or not passionate about? And not trying to to adapt or find approval if it truly isn't the right situation. And. I've had a lot of not right situations that have made me take a step back and really say, you know, what is it that I am and what do I choose to be and how can I really grow? I'm I'm very committed to ongoing growth for myself. Um, I'm a learner at heart. So my work I define by also being a learner of what others are doing and thinking and how can I enrich that but also I'm constantly learning. I rarely do repeats of things in the same way, like a formulaic. And that's part of who I am in my most real sense, is to not feel like I have to be showing up with all the right references to who came before and said what and wrote what, um, which is that whole academic side of things that I never was very good at. But didn't mean I didn't know deeply some of those things. Well, and you played in
0: the field right? You know how Mm -hmm. to do the work. Yeah.
1: Most of the time, yes. There are things that I realize I've let go of, so I'm a little rusty at, and then I realize that's because it's just not giving me what I used to get from it. And so part of me as a learner, which is part of my true self, is that I learn some things, and there's some things I just like, okay, been there, done that, and move on. And allowing myself to do that and not
0: try and hold on to something that no longer fits, if you will. Mm -hmm. So that's a powerful piece of information, but also just to remind us all that we don't have to keep holding everything. Mm. Right? It, the bag gets heavy when yeah. you keep adding stuff and you don't take anything yeah. out. Yeah, getting a bigger bag is not always the solution. It's like, <laughs> I keep oh. trying
1: to get smaller ones, but that's more of a physical kind of issue. Um, you know, it's a nice metaphor. <laughs> it's a great. It's metaphor. a nice
0: metaphor. What do yes. I really need to be packing with? Yeah,
1: it. yeah. And I have to say that I'm. That has happened more in the last five to 10 years, really recognizing it's okay to not kind of keep accumulating or hoarding all the experiences and the kinds of things that got me where I am today. I really have come to frame those as, that was preparation for who I'm showing up as today. And some of that I really love, like I was referencing a little earlier, the fact that I, as a social artist, really want to re-engage in some of the things that I just naturally did when I was younger. I won't do them the same way now. Those gave me such not only inspiration, but gave me a, just a level of where I, my best moments are when I'm totally either in sync, but I'm not in my head. I'm not going forward or backward. I am just totally in that space with people and connecting and I can feel it. There's a, just a almost a vibration inside. And so those kinds of things that are in the bag, I want to pull them out, dust them off, and then say, what does that look like today? You're absolutely right, it's the letting go. And maybe I was prepared or in preparation for that because my life has been about a lot of change. I moved around a lot as a young child. I think I got almost addicted to change, which is, sometimes that can have, you know, be your Achilles heel. You know, you can prepare for and live with ambiguity, but at some point there's a real reason to take root and let something settle for a while. And so that, in a physical sense, living in the community that I've lived in for as long as I've lived, there was a point where I used to go, we're still here, <laughs> are we moving yet? And no, that wasn't in the cards. And, and then I really came to deeply appreciate what it means for people who have those kind of roots and Call a Place Home. And that informed how I do my work now and, and, uh, and how I can even, when there's many different perceptions about what, what's necessary, what should be done for people, that I keep rooting back to, but this is a place we all call home, and that has to be honored in some way, and we all want something that we can't disagree about, which is the best for our children. So kind of wandered on that
0: way. Well, actually, you (laughs) wandered right into what I wanted to ask you. That was the other thing that came up for me when you were talking. I did not tell you I was going to ask you this, but since we're used to just talking, I'm just going to ask you and see what you come up with. When you talked about, you know, we all want the same thing, and for instance, you know, what's best for our kids. And I'm reflecting on like working with groups, Mm -hmm. as I do as well, right? You get folks and they're different. Sometimes they're homogenous because they share employment or Mm -hmm. an experience Mm -hmm. that doesn't make them the same. I've also noticed and have had many conversations um, recently of divisiveness. Right? And yeah. so that people are hesitant to mm-hmm. put opinions out because they know very quickly they could be labeled and be put in one camp or the other, fair or not. Mm-hmm. Right? But that ends the discovery. Yeah. Right? So you tell me one thing about yourself, and I'm thinking, there's nothing further I could learn from you. Mm-hmm. And now I've shut off. Even mm-hmm. though I may be talking to you, I may be sitting here, mm-hmm. but I'm not present with you. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious in your work, if that has come up and how or how you think about that because i know that you really are kind of if you if i was putting you in an artist term you're kind of like a knitter of relationships yeah. you connect people in a way that's stretchy right mm-hmm. people can stay mm-hmm. who they are but you identify those threads that enhance whatever mm-hmm. the pattern is and i'm just wondering if you could share some of your thinking about that because i think you are someone who's very gracious in doing that work. Mm. And frankly, I would just want to learn more about that because I am so committed to helping. Wow. What popped in my head were
1: the, the times unbeknownst to me where I would be called in or asked to come in and do some team building, for instance, or whatever, only to learn that there were some huge, huge disparities and experiences, what I call grievances or conflict. Those are the most extreme cases, where divisiveness really takes hold and you can find people getting very intractable about what they're gonna do or what they're gonna think. I would say for me, and I I would also qualify that as as I've grown in my own confidence um, of who I am and what I bring into a situation, that I am willing to go in with a group and make them a little uncomfortable at first because I think that it's not always the norm for people to say relationships first. For me, I call it, you know, there's many words to call it, and again, it's sort of buzzwords now, but vision-based, values-based. That's an important piece to me of the work of a group. Even those, as you said, are homogenous, but they think they're homogenous, but they can have very different experiences in their own organizations or systems or their political views. And working in a rural community or in the rural communities of Nevada, I think that's given me so much to work with and to learn about myself and what's important, because there are really diverse people in our rural communities, not in the way we think about it in urban areas, not necessarily racially or ethnically, but in a lot of other ways they show up and you are kind of face to face with people and you do see them a lot. So I would say when I think about it, it's to to address the human spirit that is alive in each person. I'm just gonna say it. And to recognize that even as we are professionals, we are people first and we have lives. And I see people being more and more stressed and stretched, even if they care deeply, it's getting so hard for people to push back time, push back space and just say, take a breath, look around the room, what do you see? Pay attention to what that brings up for you. And one huge, like, I don't know what I'd call it, a basic, have to in any time I meet with a group is to really have them explore what are the things they need to be able to feel safe and heard with each other. I can give anybody a set of norms, but that doesn't necessarily do it. It's, It's engaging in the conversation and allowing some level of vulnerability to come out and emerge. It's also, and I'll say as a facilitator, I'm not sort of like a passive or just very able to let the process go. I wish I were. I watch that and I'm always in admiration of people that have a lesser kind of presence in terms of orally and everything. But it's being willing for me to, once we've got that platform of guiding principles, ground rules, whatever, I like guiding principles better, and agreements. But when we have those, then I feel like everybody has to hold each other accountable. That doesn't happen. That shift doesn't happen in a group unless you've met for a while. It's usually the facilitator's role. To me, it's always the gentle reminders of, hey, you know, we agreed to this, and why don't you take some time to think about it? That's a real important step into that and or hold somebody and stop them if they are in the process of in my mind violating something and being able to do that without it coming across as judgment. I'm still working on it. Um, you know, because I'm aware too that I do get sometimes that little gut pinch in my belly. And, and if I do that, then I know that I have to really watch the words coming out because they'll come out with a different tone. Little, edge. Like, little edge, just a little,
0: <laughs> you know, that's really helping people when you do that for a group, mm-hmm. for instance, and you say, what was the decision here, mm-hmm. right? Or how, how did you all decide you wanted to handle this? It just gives other people permission in a non-judgmental way mm-hmm. to say, I think we're off track, or this isn't what we signed up for, exactly. so can we get back?
1: And you just did something beautiful, which I think is something I am still learning, but I feel like it has been very much a gift to me since I've decided to be intentional and focus on, which is really turning it around to asking questions just really like you just did very beautifully, is to just ask the question in a way that gives a suggestion. There are ways to think about this and it sounds like, and what is it that's your intention here? Or what are you noticing about others? You know, And especially I think what has happened for me where I've been able to work certain groups over time is pushing a little further than, you know, we tend to get together in groups and I've seen this dynamic where, okay, what's the problem? What are some solutions and strategies? And people are eager to jump to that. And I almost sometimes feel like I'm either pulling the reins back or when people come to solutions, not allowing that to be where they continue their work. just what else could be going on? Or what else might you think? Really trying to allow possibility thinking is another way so that you can have differences. In fact, you want differences in the room because otherwise we are limiting what might be possible, what are the best strategies, what could work. That's another one. And that's a big piece of, I think, when groups decide what's important to us, what will that look like if we really accomplish something together? And how will we know um, in a more direct sense? Then you always have those kind of parameters to work from and check back on and say, does this fit?
0: And you just described, too, for me, when I'm working one-on-one with somebody, those are the three criteria anyway, right? Mm -hmm. Those are the questions to sort of back to what is it I want, Mm -hmm. what will it look like, and how will I know? Mm-hmm. And it's so, when you get really clear on those, it, it and you revisit. So yeah. it's not a one-time oh, yeah. Yeah, but thing. But it's so often for myself that I'll think, well, this is what I'm working towards, and this is how I'll know. And then I'm thinking, well, I already do that, or I already have that. I've, I'm thinking... Oh, you're striving way too hard, sister, on that. You've already done it, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you already now, and it's usually typically experiential kinds of things, like not freaking out about things or breathing. Breathing. Breathing's Um, good. (laughs) But or slowing down. I mean, there's I could give you a laundry list of things where that slowing down has allowed me to change just enough that I can think better, Mm -hmm. right? And I really resonate when you talked about, you know, when you're not being authentic because you feel it in your body. Mm
1: You know, something you were just saying about the slowing down breathing, it's, it's also to me a letting go of, I have to know an answer, or I have to be on here, and on means I'm ahead of the game. You know, learning for me to say, mm, you know, I just need some time to think about that a little bit. I just, I don't really know, or maybe that's something we can try to figure out how to explore together. That is such a... You know, just a sense of release and relief. And that siren is just...
0: <laughs> this is fun. I've never had fun. so much external <laughs> distraction. And it's really a great because I know both of us are shiny penny people. Yeah. And so the fact that I can be focused on what you're saying, I'm like going, oh, this is totally cool. But yeah. the siren did pull me off The siren, siren off did a pull us off a little bit. That's um, okay. But I do think that ability or the gift, I think it is, when you say I don't have to be the expert, I'm yeah. not the smartest person in the room. And I guarantee you if there's two people in the room, I'm not the smartest person Mm -hmm. because somebody has a different way of looking at it than I do. And it's so interesting to learn from somebody else. And so I'm confident that if there's a group of people in the room, the right answer can come from the group. Mm -hmm. Not from a single person, but from the group. From the group. being Conversations. Because
1: you'll build on each other's thinking. You'll take that smart thought and you can run it out and then say, oh yeah, but what about this? And I love that process. I think that the kind of collective generation of ideas and shaping of ideas into something that no one single person can own but they all can see that that's what it's so much better
0: that way so much better so here's the tip for you that i have been practicing and this is a little off course but that's okay part of this year and a half long training and a piece of what these guys do is bring in some improv there's concepts in there that are valuable so this whole game of yes and have you Uh played that before Uh I will tell you that it has been one of the fastest ways for a group to create their future because you can't negate, and I use it as a storyline. So I've just said, to, so mm, I love it. here, tell me, whoever wants to start, I don't care who starts, it really is irrelevant, right? You can only build on what someone has said, everything's good, mm-hmm. everything's game. Mm-hmm. The first time I did it, I thought, yeah, this is going to end up being a big old mess, right? We're going to have this thing. Everything's going to be incoherent. People are going to go left. It has never happened that way. And at the end of it, I'm... And, you know, years we've done planning, right? Mm -hmm. I know you have and Mm -hmm. I have. And you go through all this, like, what should the vision be? What's our goals? And I'm thinking, let's just tell a story. So tell me what it's going to be like. And if they get stuck, I'll say, well, what do you think it'll be like to work in that place? Ten minutes, right? Mm -hmm. We have basically a frame... For the next three to five years mm-hmm. then it's a matter of just saying okay now what do you guys think would make that happen and it, it is that conversation of what might be possible yes and what if you were wrong and that limitation wasn't there what then would you do and that is a fun place to be it's really fun for people to go through that and it's not what
1: they typically are used to in workplaces i think so when you engage with them it's like a freeing you can just see it in their minds and their I mean when you were talking I was also thinking about and this maybe gets back to the arts but it also gets back to early childhood and my youth development years where you know those different learning styles you know that just it's not always about talking either it's about okay in fact I'm going to be heading into retreat and I will be asking them to I'll give them a weird shaped piece of paper and say okay I want you to draw out what that will look like in your community in the next five ten years if you're really being successful. But you can't write words. You can't just come and talk to us about it. We want you to like create that together, make that, and that's another level of improv. I think mm-hmm. where it's the yes and. So you're building on what people put, and you, I see this there. And then I want that there. I think those kinds of get outside of your normal ways of communicating and thinking, and it breaks open. You know, it's that thinking out of the box. I think that's really what we're both sort of. Alluding to is how do you break that, that channel that says it's either this or that?
0: Very black and white. Very
1: black and white. And that's not going to work because, so that notion of in this space, all ideas are welcome. And what you said I love, so I'm stealing it too, is that it's a yes and. So I think I'm going to add that little guidance. Yeah, I would love to, to tell that you process. that was mine, but
0: it's not no, mine. No, I've,
1: I've heard it from other places, but
0: this is the. It thing works about really well like, in design, though.
1: Yeah. It and the really co design stuff. I mean, one of the things that I really appreciate, and I think this is helpful in terms of what you were asking me earlier about groups, is just letting people think and do. So, like, I've gotten away from doing strategic planning in the real spend a lot of time or the needs assessment. You know, we've both done this for years. where We have to spend a year needs assessment and planning. And then people are like, the issues change by the time you get to that a year. So it's that thinking and doing, like just taking little pieces and experimenting and coming back and saying, what did we learn? Okay, let, instead of going all the way through this end project and piloting it and, and then finding out that, oh my gosh, we should have thought of that then. So I really think What's well, that, that also,
0: rapid cycle learning? It's
1: a rapid cycle learning that's prototyping in another world. It's, it's, yep. you know, it's the thinking, doing action learning. It, it, you're right. We've had a lot of ways to describe it. And for me, what I got to was, it doesn't have to be called anything. It's just, do it. let's do this. And I think it also allows people, where there are those differences, that divisiveness to say, let's just suspend judgment for it. Let's just try it. What's the worst that could happen? And then we'll see. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. Maybe neither of us are right. Maybe there's a whole other thing we'll learn.
0: What if we were three of them and we accidentally stumbled on a post-it note because we failed? I mean, how great would that be? Exactly. So- and that
1: notion, I think that's another thing. Is it's so ingrained in so many of us to be either right or wrong, to succeed or fail. And changing those paradigms of thought, really of, of no, it's just life, learning, <laughs> and revisiting, and, and just kind of going. You know, it's, it's life repeating itself in different versions, in a, a sense. So it doesn't. It really trying to break that that mode of thought. I would say most of the work, and including on myself, a lot on myself, that I find useful. It was rooted in a class I took back at Stanford, Human Perception, which. Nisbet and loss, Lee And I remember the feeling I got in that class, and I had not even imagined at that time how it would become such a part of my work, which was to really understand human perception, what is reality, how we have these frames and these filters. And that's, I think, so descriptive of the work we engage in when we're trying to get a group of people together to find a new place where they go down a path together and actually change something that they
0: care about it's fun especially when people get that they are different but those differences really make them stronger yeah and that's fun it's that fun, is fun to watch the light bulbs go on and go yeah. oh i didn't know that yeah i didn't know that if i did this i could really help you be better at that
1: you know it's
0: interesting that you say
1: that that this is there's a group that i kind of think of as my anchor point now because um, i get to hang out with them a long time now five years and i keep saying is our work done or do you want to go off? You've got these other groups now meeting that are, and they're like, nope, and, and that it becomes a space for them. And this is particularly I think the case in rural Nevada where you may have just a few people in an organization or one doing what they do and they don't have a bevy of colleagues, if you will. I love how they describe their sense of humor, love. They name love in this thing of, of really caring deeply about each other having repeatedly, monthly, a chance to go to a place in which we may not get things done, although we have gotten a lot done actually in the process, but that they can be who they are and they can get sustenance and encouragement, humor, reframing. It's just interesting to me that they, given the opportunity, and I've tried to give them several opportunities to say, okay, time to move on. now." Nope. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I just really, and I mean, I've come to, that's my place to get my people fixed as well, you know, because I do work independently, as we often do in this kind of, it's really, I guess, reinforced to me, the importance of relationships first, Mm -hmm. people first, because their feeling is watching them, the the, the, the catalytic kind of thinking and listening and putting it out there and their connections that they've made because they have, they don't want to just, go to that mode where, okay, if, if, if there's not enough resources, we're going to write grants over here. Or, But really to be able to say, you do that so well, why would I do that? Or I need you, let's work to, you know, There's this real appreciation for who's sitting around the circle. And there are a lot of differences. Sometimes I swallow and just say, let that pass. And that's okay because they're being who they are. And that this is where they come to, to be able to say that and not get pushed out nobody ever does that they could but they also challenge each other because they feel like they know each other at a level of that that's that almost that unconditional love piece where i'm not going to let that rest you know i care about you and we probably need to not let that one go
0: well it's a in my mind that's a sign of respect very much very you much know, it's like i really love you and i may not say it in front of the whole group i may just say you kind of were off on left mm-hmm. out in left field on that
1: and I don't know if you encounter this, but for me, working more independently, and why i probably still affiliate with Community Jess for many reasons, because they're like a family group to me that I know when I need to get some connection, I go there. But I also feel like what you just said has been for me, when I think about who influences me and who inspires me, are those people who will hold me accountable. Those people who will see my blind spots, my bad habits, my whatever, and be willing to say it so that I can, you know, like hold up the mirror. The people that are willing to hold up the mirror and say, you know, does this match who you really feel like you wanna be? Um, I have so, I've been so grateful for those folks because I don't think that's easy to do. Sometimes we're also said, if you really love me, you won't blah, 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 whatever. When I was thinking about that a little bit earlier before I came here to meet with you, I, I was really reflecting on how blessed I've been to have people, you know, let me know when I'm blowing it, or even when I'm not blowing it, but I'm not, I'm not being authentic, and they know it. Sometimes I'm good at ignoring my physical symptoms and, and signs.
0: Sure. Let me ask you something. It's interesting. I interviewed this one gentleman who was talking similarly, you know, about how that is good to have that mirror, if you mm-hmm. will. He mm-hmm. called it differently, but same thing. And I asked him, in his life, were those people intentional, like, did they have permission to be telling each other that, or were they people who just said, oh, Deb, by the way, and I haven't seen you for five years, but let me tell you, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, is it a committed relationship for showing up for each other? Do, do you understand? Am I, I asking? Did, I
1: think I kind of understand it, and what I think is that the the connection and the the understanding was set at some point very transparently. You...
0: You have permission. You
1: you have permission. I don't know that I would call it that. That's an interesting way to frame it. Um, I don't know that I would have said when I first got it, it was that first moment of what? But then sinking into it. What I I think the thing for me is it's a face-to-face thing. I don't think I would ever, with all the lovely technologies today, it's a face-to-face thing one. That's the courage to look me in the eye and say this. It's usually a, a relationship that's been established and there's an understanding that we deeply care, first and foremost. In the situation that I'm thinking in my earlier years, even in community chess, two young women that I was mentoring and who deeply mentored me back, um, because they said, based on our guiding principles, and they didn't say it quite like that but that was we had already an agreement a culture that we had established together and said this is what we stand for who we want to be in the world how we lead by example and they were willing to come to me and offer a criticism but it was constructive criticism and i could feel not their tentativeness they were comfortable with that because we knew each other we knew that whatever else that was already clear. So I wouldn't have said it was a permission, but by the virtue of the fact that we had set up some agreements, we had talked about who we want to be together. And I think that happens in any relationship where you have been vulnerable, you have opened yourself to who you are with someone, they know what's important to you. So that's where that feedback becomes invaluable. That is very different from... And I have these other lovely experiences where people are critical or judgmental, and it's not coming from an honest place of connection. It's coming from, I think, one, you don't we don't understand how we're different in different styles, uh, and so there's an assumption that one's right and one's wrong, or you do that, it's this or that. You know, I,
0: so that's what I was getting after. Thank you for for pulling that back together. It really was a sense of, in the one instance with the two young gals you were talking about, about them wanting to protect and to grow what you had together
1: mm-hmm.
0: versus someone who's tearing you down or making you wrong mm-hmm. so that they can be right. Mm-hmm.
1: And, I, and I'm and i very sensitive to how the message is delivered, you know, and, and that's like a, something that we have to constantly visit when we're in the kind of work we do where we are having to help others communicate and I think that to me is is really what I pay attention to or I can re- I'm very sensitive to it in the sense of how somebody's communicating with me I have a lot of leeway if I know their intentions and are not to hurt and even those folks I just described I think I wouldn't ascribe them with intentions to hurt or tear down. I think that they've just never been, they've rarely been held accountable because there's some other attribute that allows them to pass and people won't hold them accountable. And so that's probably for me one of the most important things in relationships is being able to hold each other accountable without it being experienced as judgment of who you are, that you're not okay. It's not about that. It's about... You are good. I have a basic philosophy, and I'm being challenged in the world sometimes to do this, as things are today, but I do believe that people have the best of intentions, and we learn a lot of crazy ways to express ourselves, to protect ourselves, to move down the path that we're given, and we don't always do that as gracefully as we'd like, and so for me, it's still important to stop and say, what do I think's going on? what's it like for them. It's this process of, you know, checking in, checking out, checking around, seeing what's the situation because a lot of times it's not a person, it's what situation they're in that drives them to this kind of thing. And when I do that, that is inevitably sort of my big breath that lets me go. Maybe this is about you, Devin has nothing to do with the way you're receiving this. I
0: hate when that happens. I know,
1: but it does happen. I acknowledge it happens oh. more frequently than I'd like.
0: Can you have two last questions? Yeah. I have yes. I have two more questions. They may <laughs> not be last. I don't want to be a liar about okay. this. All right. So I know that you are re-engaging in some new directions. So one of my questions is a simple yes, no. after September and whatever comes out of your event in September, can we reconnect and talk about that and what came from that yes please okay that would be great yes so that was one of my two questions (laughs) and I think I'm gonna have more but as you go forward what motivates you or inspires you every day like when you wake up what fires you up the
1: sounds of the world first thing is when I wake up I'm hearing birds tweeting this looking out it really has a lot to do with the natural environment uh, it's very hard to keep an attitude or hold a grudge or be indefinitely upset when I look out at the world and I have this, I'm blessed to have a wonderful view of several mountain ranges from my windows looking east. So the natural world, being out in it, being able to get some perspective that it's going to outlast me and it has been here long before me and even though we might screw it up royally, it will probably have the resilience that as human beings we may not. I think the other Things that inspire me, obviously, are the close connections and people in my life. I feel like that's the currency of life. That's what, for me, when I die, that I will feel is extremely the marker of my life, whether it's the young people that I've connected with over the years, or my family, my sons who were really central in that. They're very central in my life. And just watching them grow and seeing what they're doing today I am very inspired by the next year. I, I actually bristle when I hear my generation describe them in ways that I think... Not, not true. Not true. Not, not true. true. You know, everybody struggles, and um, we have to be grateful for the struggle because it can teach us so much. But that's where I rest my hope. And they inspire me. So circling back to the things that I... sharing a little earlier about being a social artist that's kind of where i want the time and space to explore what that would look like again and it will have something to do i'm sure with that younger generation and the older generation the artists the social entrepreneurs the, the folks who don't want to give up. That's what it really, that's the other piece. Once that bird tweets and I turn to my husband who's down, ready to write the next poem or the next book and has that list of projects, I think, you know, we're always creative. There's always something else to to tell a story about. And I want to be in the story with others.
0: I cannot tell you how much I love having this time together. I mean, it's been months Mm -hmm. since we've seen each other and and I don't think a short email counts as seeing one another. <laughs> no, so, <laughs> definitely not. It does not. So with that, I know you'll come back. Yes? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Is there anything... Now that I got over the big hump of my yeah. having to talk. <laughs> Easy peasy. I told you, it's just a conversation. So that's it for this week's episode. If you like what you heard, please hop on over to iTunes or wherever else you listen to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. This helps us get the word out to more people just like you who want to live a no-labels, no-limits life. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.